Hi, and welcome to another edition of Amana Podcast. Amana, again, is a collective of people, places, things, and actions that transcend us, exploring your higher virtues, and then what takes you off track in your life and how do you get back on? And today, it gives me great pleasure to introduce uh, Ron Booth and Sophia Booth. Say good day, guys. Hey, hello. So glad to have you uh, with me. You have been an important part of my adult life, believe it or not, even though some, some of our stints have been uh, short-lived, what I mean by you know two to three years at a time, and I'm talking about my adult life, but you both had a great impact on me, and uh, our journey for me has been very rich. Now, Ron, I met you, believe it or not, 25 years ago. Uh, at Riviera Country Club. Uh, one of the managers who I used to do personal training for brought me over to play doubles. And that's where I remember meeting you. And, and uh, as you have a gift of meeting lots of different people, I think you make a mark on people's lives and people remember you. And I've always, I remembered you until I was at Riviera at around 2005 or six. Um, so tell us a little bit about your journey first, Ron, around how you ended up at Riviera and a little bit of your tennis career and your time there. Oh, yeah, pretty interesting. I, I was actually um, a baseball player in high school. Um, I was a pitcher. I thought I was going to go all the way. And I remember when I was just at 15, uh, during Pony League um, all-star practice, I broke my left wrist and um, on the last play, of course. Anyway, so I went out and I just uh, went to Barrington Park with a friend of mine with my huge cast. He says, come on, let's go play tennis. So I started hitting the ball a little bit and I kind of liked it. Anyway, so I got crazy about tennis. I still played high school baseball all the time. I could have played on the tennis team, but I didn't. But after that first year of playing at Barrington Park, it's a little, little obscure park in uh, Brentwood, uh, just amazing with all these actors and writers and guys from New York. It was like, they were like these older guys, they were like, you know, great mentors to me. And they said, you got to go on. Anyway, so luckily enough, I had a, a dear friend of mine that was the owner, um, he was friends with the owner of the Riviera of the Hathaways. And he finagled a way to get me to be the very first junior member at the Riviera Amazing. for a hundred dollar uh, <laughs> initiation fee. But <laughs> there I took off. I ended up uh, playing uh, quite a few tournaments. I ended up playing a little bit of pro in um, Europe, uh, but you know, I was never great. You know, I, I, I played a, a, lot, a lot of good players, but the Riviera became a staple of it was like a base. Um, so by me, you know, winning tournaments there, uh, doubles tournaments and singles tournaments and playing with, I mean, I think at one time I was ranked number one in Southern California and I was ranked like, like number nine at the club. You know, guys were handing it to me all the time. They just weren't playing tournaments. So it was just a great place and it was a great place to meet people. I mean, maybe I'm going on and on and on, but um, I, I, I've had, I'm, I'm more like a, um, a voyeur with tennis. Um, in the beginning, it was just, mm -hmm. you know, I was a skier as well. And I, I got a chance to be able to play a little bit of pro and, and look at these fantastic players 
and get to play with you know guys like Brian Teacher and you know there's a, a lot of guys that I got it was really neat or Trey Walkie, but but it was a very interesting time and it's also been because of the tennis and the Riviera, it's been a tool for me to meet people uh, abroad. You know, yes. by having the tennis skills, I, I lived in Europe for ten years after that, and I could be anywhere and play some somewhere. Like I, I met this one guy in the Canary Islands that was a major impact. You know, from Hamburg, Germany, um, Milan Hostinski. But I mean, there's it, it, tennis is an amazing tool, and it's 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 just it's just a it's just a great way to you know meet people. Well, amongst that, and I want to circle back to this, um, is you had a modeling career and uh, which took you to Europe too. And, and the reason I wanted to bring that up, and if you want to make commentary about it, uh, is because we it, there was sort of a full circle that happened in part of our journey. I don't know if you want to mention anything about that. Well, it's funny. It's back to tennis. Uh, somebody told me, they were doing an audition for a tennis ad in Los Angeles. I went over and did this, this ad with this guy by the name of Cole Rentmeister, who was like one of the biggest photographers in the world for life. And uh, for life, and you know, he's in Vietnam and all that kind of stuff. And they wanted, he wanted to do a fashion thing of action. And it was just the most amazing picture that he did of this. I, I don't know if you ever saw it, but anyway, it got to New York. And Wilhelmina Models had seen this picture and they said, we, we want this guy. So I accidentally got into modeling. And plus, I mean, that, that picture, I made $75. And I dove 75 times with bloody knees. And I thought that, can you imagine that? $75? <laughs> anyway, it ended up uh, starting my career um, because I always thought at that point I was going to play professional tennis. So doing the modeling, I was going to raise money. In fact, this is a sidebar. I'm sitting here doing a, a modeling gig in New York and I'm talking to this guy. And, you know, I'm kind of like, it's kind of weird, you know, doing that stuff. And I go, hey, man, I'm, I'm only just doing this for a couple months. And, you know, I'm going to go play tennis. And he goes, yeah, I'll see you in six years. <laughs> Seven years later, I'm in Hamburg and this guy walks in the studio and goes, I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, and now cut to let's how did you introduce your daughters to tennis and then into Riviera and and we'll expand from there well you know so both my daughters are great athletes uh, my older one started gravitating towards volleyball you know I'd go over and they'd watch me play tennis tournaments all the time and Sophia is like this amazing uh, athlete at age you know, one, when she was running around, she was, she could kick the ball and like a soccer. I mean, Howard Sands, where we I had his house, he was a, a great tennis player. He watched her kick the soccer ball in like passing it and doing all that stuff at such a young age. She had a great arm. She had, she could do anything. She's at school. She, you know, but I didn't, I didn't really know what to do with the tennis thing in the beginning. I, I didn't have the skill set uh, to teach a young one uh, like her. I wanted to do it right, and so what I did is, you know, you know, Sophia used to come and watch me play. Uh, you could see that she could hit the ball, um, and then I just uh, decided to go. There's two two people, uh, Chris Shoup 
and Amy Chimanello. There was this guy named Chris Hoop who was a great teacher. Let her do like a half hour, 45 minutes. Like, and he's just going, dude, you know, she's going to be really good. You know, you can see her. And, and, and right afterwards, she would hit like 10 baskets in a row, free throws <laughs> at, the, at the court. But anyhow, uh, we set her up to uh, Amy Chimanello. We thought she'd be great because the teacher poised for a woman. Yeah. That was really important and it ended up being really great and so our place of hanging out was at the Riviera so Sophia we got to practice there quite, uh, quite a bit and uh, just uh, hang out there it was a great thing and just to watch her grow but I we didn't really for she played different sports yeah you know we, we let her play volleyball we let her play softball even the softball was more I mean she played softball she played at age 10 was it 10, Sylvia? Nine yeah. or 10. Whole season, never struck out. <laughs> wow. How do you not strike out? I, I played baseball at a high level. I struck out freaking a lot, <laughs> you know? So, Sophia, what was your earlier memory of tennis and starting where you started to find, well, I like this a little bit more than the other sports? Yeah, so I definitely had, like, kind of a unique experience growing up as a tennis player because... I did gravitate towards a lot of sports. I picked up sports quite easily. Um, I really enjoyed that kind of aspect, you know, that excitement aspect of, you know, picking up a new sport, throwing the ball, um, being athletic, um, being creative with athleticism as well. Um, and kind of I, my earliest, earliest memories were you know, when I was so competitive, just from a very young age, just always that little, you know, um, even though my sister ended up doing uh, volleyball, she ended up playing volleyball. I remember playing side to side, you know, I was on the deuce court always. And then my sister was always on the ad court and my dad would alternate, you know, giving us feeds. I think I was like four or three or something like that. And we would be so competitive. We would count how many times we hit the ball over, you know? And like, I was tiny too. My sister grew really quickly. Um, she would look, always looked like five years older than me, but she was actually only two. <laughs> um, but um, I always played basketball and tennis and volleyball and I enjoyed other sports. And I took tennis lessons at a young age. And I really enjoyed playing with like Amy Chiminello and then always going to hit with my dad as well. Like, and again, kind of growing up watching, my dad doesn't give himself justice, but he was a very, very good player. Like he had a beautiful serve and he played doubles like amazingly. So uh, definitely someone to look up to, you know, at a young age, you know, and I would always be that kid saying like, hit a sky ball, you know, like <laughs> I would like, and he was playing against, you know, like, oh my gosh, at like so many amazing tennis players. And I was like, hit a sky ball um, at a very young age. Um, so honestly, I, the time where I had to decide, I was a good volleyball player and a good tennis player. And I was about like 12, 13 and high school was coming up and tennis and volleyball were in the same season. And I kind of like took a step back and saw like, you know, where's my future? Uh, what can I see myself like doing? How can I be challenged as well? Because volleyball, believe it or not, I was actually, I wasn't really fully challenged in a way because, you know, it's team-based, you know? So sure. like, I liked the control of 
singles, you know, being able to like, if, if you're in a situation you have to problem solve and troubleshoot yourself, or if you have the best match of your life, it's the best match of your life, not the team. So I really like that aspect of, you know, the individuality of tennis as a sport and also future. I mean, I've met so many amazing people through tennis. Um, you can play it as a social sport. You can play competitively and you can play with your dad. You know, I mean, I got to play with my dad my whole childhood. And I think that was like a really unique experience. And the fact that my dad never forced me into tennis. He, mm -hmm. um, I think that was very unique as well. And I think that's what added to my drive to get better. It was like kind of like an inner drive that was driven by me. And obviously like coaches spearheaded that. And my dad knew when to step back and bring in new coaches like you, you know, and like Grant Doyle and amazing coaches that have touched my life. And uh, Amy Ciminello from the beginning as well. So um, yeah, I think do, it's been- Do you remember the first time you beat your dad? Oh yes, yes I do. <laughs> when was very, that? very well. Um, it was on court one at the Riviera because of course that was like the play. <laughs> I'm never gonna forget I think my dad got, he got a little bit, cause at first he was like, wait, I actually have to try now. Like, wait, what? <laughs> and I remember him hitting a kick serve out wide on the deuce side. And I ran around it and slapped, slapped that ball. Like nobody's business past him. And he just stood there and he looked at it and he was like, oh no. <laughs> and I think I won like six, three or something. I, I used to say that I was younger, but I think I was around like 16, but I remember the place and mm -hmm. like very, very well. Yeah. <laughs> and so when you um, got, in, when do you, would you say you got interested in tournament tennis and, you know, g going into the competitive part of it all? Yeah. So it's interesting because Amy Ciminello, where we started, she was, she kind of had a unique approach where she really wanted to develop my strokes mm -hmm. first. And we didn't do tournaments every weekend, like the average player did in juniors. Um, so we kind of like picked and choose, like, like we kind of like which tournament and which situation. And um, kind of honestly, I think I was like 14, 13, which is pretty darn late. Uh, in tennis and again like I was playing volleyball at that time too so like I caught the tennis bug at like 13 14 mm -hmm. where I became obsessed with the sport like I played many many hours I was I was a tennis rat you know we call that you know I was at the courts at the Riviera I went up to everyone whether it was 45 year old man 16 year old girl and I was like can we play and I had a really cool mentor as well. His name is Drew Hoskins. Um, he played at USC and he used to hit with me like every Tuesday and Thursday nights. Yeah. And it was after his work, it was for his workout, but I would wait at the Riviera till like 7 p.m. and hit with him for like two hours, you know, after playing for like three hours. So I got really competitive when I was 14. And I remember, I honestly, like, it's kind of funny because I look back now and I'm like, I really wish that I saw kind of how much of a force I was mm -hmm. um, because I showed up to junior tennis beating top 10 girls in California, top girls in the nation, blue chip players. And they're like, 
who the heck is this girl? You know, um, some girls at UCLA, like they never, you know, they know me now and we're actually good friends, but like, what I remember like the dads coming up to me being like, who are you, you know? And like Ashley Leahy, I became really good friends with her and we played doubles tournaments later on uh, in Romania uh, at 15K ITFs. Um, and she came up to me after watching me play like a, you know, a tournament in Palm Springs and was like, who are you? So I kind of came on the scene like, and everyone was like, okay, <laughs> this girl can play. We have no idea where she came from. I was pretty green with like um, kind of strategy and learning experiences, but um, I was very, yeah, it was like 14, 15 was when I really got competitive with tennis. And part of this podcast is looking at your value systems or virtues, right? So what did you care about? What, what, what drove you to get really competitive and what was your value, underlying value system of that? Hmm. Interesting. I, I was, I became enthralled by the idea of getting better, like <laughs> self-improvement. Um, I just wanted to get better every day, whether it was my backhand, my forehand, the physicality aspect, but then also like the mental. So like we hired you who was a mental coach, you know? Um, and it was kind of the idea of self-improvement that really drove me. And then the moral aspects, I mean, I was pretty well known. Southern California junior tennis is kind of renowned to have some problematic line calls and some <laughs> cheating scandals along the way. And I was a big tennis purist. I loved the sport and I wanted to represent it in the right way. So I honestly, I look back at it now. I definitely like played a lot of out, <laughs> out balls <laughs> that I should have called out. Yes. Um, yeah, I remember you guys like being like, Sophia, that was out. But I, I would rather, honestly, I would rather have played a ball that was, I couldn't tell rather than calling it out. And I stick by that. And I was a complete tennis purist in that way. And so at a certain point, you looked at the professional tour and your, your eyes got glued to that. Talk us through some of your decision-making process and, and, what was in your heart's desire to, to go for it, if you will? Yeah, um, I think my family has like been like massive supporters, you know, for my sister and I, you know, ever since we were young children, they always taught us to follow our dreams and, and they always wanted us to be happy. And I kind of came from a background, you know, my grandfather was a famous Formula One racing driver. He was a champion. Uh, my, my dad's grandfather played for Manchester United and the list goes on. He was the captain of Manchester United. And like, there was kind of just a long lineage of athletes well, in our Margie. family. Annie yeah, and Annie Margie, she was one of, you know, she was a world champion surfer. Again, the list goes on. She was amazing. And actually, now that you mention it, Auntie Margie, um, I had a very, very close connection with her mm -hmm. and she would, we would call, we would just be talking on our way back from San Diego when I was training with Grant Doyle. I would be, we would be driving back and we'd be like, let's call Auntie Margie, let's call her. And we would have these long, deep conversations and she would always send me these like packages of kind of like family 
um, you know, family, uh, you know, little trinkets here and there, and then like papers and photos and everything. And then all of a sudden she sent me this poem. Uh, my grandfather who ended up passing away from brain cancer. And it was a poem called uh, Chase uh, More Daisies. Mm -hmm. And that stuck with me forever. It was basically about how you need to stop and smell the roses and you need to go for what you feel is right. And it that's kind of what gave me the push to commit to going pro and play pro tournaments, take a gap year, you know, um, really try and go for my dreams and see where it goes and travel. And I mean, I'm so happy that I ended up doing that. Um, even though we all know it, it had its trials and tribulations and everything. How could and, it not? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, that's kind of what pushed me. Like, I feel like my family roots and my values as well. Like, I mean, I, I'm never going to look back, you know, 20 years from now and say, what if? And I mean, I changed forever once I did, went yeah. through that experience. So a little antidote part of these stories was because you, Ron, ha has so many strong relationships uh, in Southern California, but particularly around, you know, the, the West Side area there. Um, you're a very lovable family and people have always supported you. And I remember you making that decision and some people and they do this anyways, we're going, well, she's got no right to get, to try and go professional. She should go to college, which I think fueled you. Um, and once you made that decision, when I looked at it, and I, I think at the time I was just more supporting you on the mental side of things, I went, okay, you really want to do this. And I knew um, through my tennis experiences of coaching and both playing, Clay is where you can really develop your game, which we don't have a lot of in Southern California. So we looked at the, the map, right? We looked at all the different tournaments around the world. And we went, where the heck are we going to go? What's cost effective? And, and where can we get tournaments in a row back to back? So, you know, we ended up in Galati, Romania, of all places. Why don't you share a little bit about the beginning there of Galati, Romania? Uh, do you want me to you want start or? either jump in because you know what first of all you know when I was uh, modeling in Europe uh, where I met this guy uh, Milan Hostensky I was in Hamburg and I learned how to play on red clay red slippery clay mm -hmm. and he came up to me and he goes you know what you're the best non-pro tennis player I've ever seen and this guy and I just watched him beat some guy he was in his 30s and I watched him beat some guy 30 in the world I'd split sets with this guy you know things like that he taught me how to play on the red clay and it changed my game mm -hmm. and and as and being a serve volleyer from Southern California and over the years how it's changed the whole game they slowed down the courts the rackets have changed spinning more, it's more closer to a clay court game. You have to, you, you have to play chess. You have to, you, you have to figure out what kind of points you're going to do and look at the person's weakness and all that stuff. Anyway. So when you said that, I said, you came up with a Romanian thing. And I said, yeah, 
What a great idea. Let's go there and just make it really difficult for her. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it, it, let's, let's see if you can, t I mean, this is metaphorically, of course, but it was, let's see if you can take a punch, you know, oh, be because these girls in Romania are playing for a sa their sandwich and the girls around them. And there's deep, it's deep competition there, which we found out, right? Yeah. There's a lot of good players coming out of that part of the world. Yeah. And, and they're, and they don't, they don't give up and yeah. because that's not because they can't and what what one of the things that was so amazing about that we got to train a little bit down and down south on a clay court with grant down at uh la costa i honestly think we did that one time no i know we didn't do jack i was not oh, no, no. <laughs> we tried to play the green clay, clay at riviera the green so clay, there's not nothing like it i to learn how to slide on it and it was a joke anyway <laughs> and, and that's normal <laughs> you've got to learn you got to learn how to have the confidence like in anything else of having to do it uh so so here mark and i we get to we get to romania we start training doing all these different things and we're going on these really crap courts on the outside because we couldn't find anything to train what were they called the Sophia? grenade courts the grenade courts because they had holes on them like a grenade had landed there on were them. also chicken feathers all on the back i remember some girl coming over there that was a great player came over to practice and she turned her ankle you know yeah, it was so really it was dangerous but anyway i'll never forget this time so we, we, we do all the preparation there. We get there six days before. Yeah. We, yeah something like yeah, that. We, we were there much earlier. And we're getting the idea. We're, it, gave we're, it, it gave us time to get lost. We're, we're, <laughs> we had it was also during the men's tournament too. And it's so competitive to get a court. You're yes. competing just for half a court to hit for 30 minutes. It's insane. And, and we finally got it. We met these Turkish people. We got up at on the court at 6 a.m. when nobody was there. And, uh, you know, and also by meeting people, it's a different language, being nice and things like that. People want to help you. There's certain people you meet, but my favorite part, I'll never forget, Sophia's playing her first round match in the qualifying. And she's playing against a girl, Helbit, uh, whatever. Julia, uh, yeah. Julia. She's, she's playing from, against a girl that doesn't- from Moldova? Yeah. Moldova. Mondova. So, so Mark and I are on the side watching and we're just going, okay, let's see what happens. Here she is. She's playing a professional match and she's never played a practice set on clay. She has never played a practice freaking <laughs> set on clay. So she gets out there and the girl wins the, the first set, but Sophia's starting to get a little confidence and she wins the second set. And Mark and I look at each other, we just go, what? <laughs> we just go, holy moly. And there was a very, uh, you lost the third set, but there was a point where that girl could have broken, but she was a fighter uh, down to the tooth. And that's the lesson that I learned where in junior tennis, the transition from junior to pro, pro matches is, Literally, if you're in the third set and you get that break, you just like the other girl, the other American girl kind of just like crumbles quickly and you just run with it. And this girl fought back quick. And I think I lost seven, six in the third, which was amazing. rough. 
And I, I, re- I remember that stint too. I had a lot of close matches and I ended up losing in the third, always tight. And it was like, I know I was progressing, but it was always like close, close, close. And then it would be this little uh, seesaw action, you know? Well, uh, these girls were world ranked who'd been out there for a, at least five years, most of the ones that you'd been playing and then some. So to say, you know, I remember you walking off that first match going, I can't believe I lost. No, I can't believe you got that far. You know, I mean, it was just you, your, your innocence, if you will, allowed you uh, for your greater tennis to come along. And I remember those three weeks distinctly, maybe it was even close to three and a half weeks, but you learned process. You know, you learned about, it's not just about winning. It's about me improving my process day in, day out, day in, day out, you know, so. Um, and, and, and plus the process, you're right. That, that was amazing. And you, you instilled that, Mark. That was amazing. That's, those are the things that I lacked in my coaching skills because I'd never uh, traveled with someone about the stretching, uh, the day-to-day doing the day, the routine, the exact same thing. And we went there. She, she kept on practicing with all these different people. We're going over there. We're buying beers for the tournament director. We're doing everything we can to, to grease them. And it worked. But then again, it worked both ways. I love that guy. I'll never, that, that guy was amazing. Anyhow, remember also, Sophia played another match. She had also had bad luck too. Like anybody else, that's the whole process of this whole thing. Yeah. It's not about winning and coming back and look what I did. It's about becoming a better tennis player. And that's what Grant Doyle always said. It doesn't matter. She's not, he kept on saying, it doesn't matter. She'll start winning when she's 21. She yeah. needs to know how to learn how to play. So she plays this girl who had won junior Wimbledon. She wins the first set. I still have that on tape. <laughs> I got really pissed off that I was filming it with my phone. You know, I just kind of, you know, complained to the, anyhow, Sophia starts playing and she's going to win this match. She gets stung by a wasp. It was a wasp and a half too. It was a Romanian wasp. It was on certain, like, I have no idea what steroids that wasp was on. Yeah, and then her hands started sweat. Her hands, it was a right hand. Started swelling up and things like that. And I was trying to get Benadryl and they said, oh no, it's against a WTA. You can't have Benadryl. I'm going, what? Anyway, we found another American who had it and she took it, but she had to, uh, Quit, quit the the match. She finished. She she lost. So because she couldn't hold on to the racket, but that's an experience in life. It really is great experience. Yeah, I mean, I look back on that time, and I I remember distinctly you saying repeatedly, "We're throwing you into the deep end," yeah. and like I think that's the deepest end <laughs> that we can start off in. I think you guys were like, "Let's walk," you know, to the very very end of this little plank. Um, but again, like, I think it was also like a moment where after the three weeks, I was like, if I didn't think that I had it, I was going to, you know, be like, okay, let's go, let's go to college right now. It's right. like, you know, take a step back. But it honestly just made me kind of more hungry in a way to just get better. Um, because I saw what I needed to work on and what I could get better at. So we kind of came back to the States and 
I remember working on specific things that I needed to work on um, in order to be successful in those tournaments and kind of break through uh, in those type of tournaments. So yeah. Um, also all the mistakes. I mean, Mark, after we finished the, uh, uh, the tournament in Romania, uh, Sophia and I were gonna try and get her in. You had to get back. We were trying to get into uh, a tournament in France. So I'm looking on the thing and I see France and I go, really cool. Oh, she can get into this tournament. Great, great. It's in Reunion, Reunion, France, because I had a French flag. Yeah, that's that. right. It's on the other side of the freaking world. It's <laughs> literally it's right like, next to Madagascar. It's like if I'm here in LA, it's on the other side of the world. It's right next to the Mauritius Islands. Reunion With all the sharks ruminating. So, so, so listen to this. I had this client that I have been teaching tennis, coaching tennis, and he, his company would sell Air Astral the planes. So I called him up and he goes, Hey, get to Paris. You can hitchhike. You go Paris to reunion. So <laughs> we got a free flight to reunion Island from Paris. And we had the greatest time, Sophia and I, because and we had nine hours uh, of lead time in Paris at Char Charles de Gaulle airport. And I said, I'm not going to sit here. I'm going to spend money on the taxi, go in town and show her where I lived. When I used to be a model, I had this uh, flat, in the sixth and Saint-Germain and I took her to this fantastic uh, 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 place to eat. Um, and we had uh, steak au poivre, pommes frites. And I got to go by with my freaking terrible French, but the guy loved me, you know, we, I got by. And, um, and we walked around, I showed her where I lived. I showed her, you know, walked around, she loved Paris. And then we went back uh, on that plane and then she got her first WTA point in uh, reunion. Yeah, and then also don't forget about wow. how kind of a mistake turned into something that was like an incredible opportunity. The person that was running the tournament was Mary Pierce and yeah. she made a really, really big impact on my life. And she, she's an amazing human being. And she kind of saw not, I think she gravitated towards our personalities. And then also she saw like my kind of potential as a tennis player and she we're still in contact to this day you know we still talk to each other and like have a strong strong relationship but she would tell me all these amazing stories and I would learn from her so much and she would stand on the court and be like oh what do you think about this and it was like I mean who who would have known that I would have become you know close with someone like that through a random situation by accident so Again, I don't think anything's by accident. I feel like everything has a purpose and a meaning in life. Um, yeah. So yeah, then meeting uh, Mary Pierce and tell us what happened after Reunion Island. Sophia? She's just uh, taking a little time here to connect to her audio. But what did happen is that you got to go to uh, Mauritius and you had made that connection with Mary Pierce and the De Beer family. Ron, do you want to share a little bit about that? Yeah, it was amazing. I, I, we, we met the, the De Beer family, their, their, da uh, their daughter, who was the same age as um, uh, Sophia, and they hit it off like crazy. In fact, they even played doubles together, but they, they were so gracious. They had a, um, a ministry, they're a Christian ministry 
um, not only just in the Mauritius, but all over the place. And anyhow, they were, they had their own tennis court at their homes overlooking the ocean. And you were there I mean, you ended up coming after I said, oh my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> we, need, we needed a mental coach. Um, and um, uh, they were just, they just were gracious. They just said, come. We, we ate there, we stayed there. Uh, and Mary would come down and, and you flew back over uh, to meet with us. And uh, it, it was an amazing, amazing uh, experience. Uh, I, I'll never forget it. I, 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 it, it's so much ingrained in my head. I'd gone to the Mauritius 30 years before uh, modeling for Adidas maybe 35 years ago, maybe 40, no, something like that. Anyway, but, um, and I'd never, I, it was, it was like paradise. And then coming back there with, uh, Sophia and to be able to experience that with somebody that close, it was beyond, uh, it was amazing. Just amazing. So a, a big shout out to the De Beer family and to Mary Pierce and, uh, and the whole crew there. They, really did embrace us. And I think that was a really important tournament for you. So if there were a couple of tournaments that was there, just Mary Pierce's presence uh, alone without having to say much, um, you could feel the depth of the champion that she is, you know, and, and from there we, we came back home and then started to plot again. And this is a really cool part of the story for me because it's, where we got to train and that, and, and why don't you share a little bit of the backstory around Chamonix, uh, Ron? All right, when I was uh, modeling in, in Europe, I was always a skier, you know, growing up and a buddy of mine took me to Chamonix and I fell in love with that place. And in that place, I met this amazing filmmaker by the name of Didier Lafon, who made these extreme sport films when they didn't really understand what extreme was that he was doing you know, base jumping, uh, sky surfing, all these different types of uh, uh, great uh, films. He was just this great filmmaker. We became close friends. And we end up uh, at the end, uh, later on in the 90s, creating a television series for ABC starring James Bowen called Extreme. And it was about uh, people that risk their, lives, risk, risk their lives to save lives and we came on right after the Super Bowl. It was a one-hour dramatic series. Anyhow, uh, we had an opportunity to uh, go to Switzerland and play one of these, um, these tournaments, uh, pro tournaments. And I said, well, why don't we just go to Chamonix and train? Because I remember they had tennis courts there. And they had very good uh, clay courts. So um, uh, you, Mark, and uh, Sophia and I stayed with Didier. And it was amazing. I mean, a big shout out to DDA too. I mean, even though he's a human, I remember Sophia saying, he's my spirit animal. I love him. <laughs> he's one of the funniest guys, one of the most, he's the guy who's the father of extreme sports <clears throat> because of all the things he did. And plus his part, his buddy, his best friend, uh, Rene Gilini, who climbed the K2 in Everest, who's a very famous mountain guide. We stayed at his place as well. Yes. Be together, it's you. You have no room. It's 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 just hilarious, and uh, uh, you know I still have some of those photos of Sophia practicing uh, uh, videos and uh, photos practicing on the red clay 
with the Mont Blanc, the glaciers in the back. It's, uh, it's quite impressive. Well, yeah. to, to say this, a couple of my anecdotes, and then we, I want to hear from you, Sophia, of your experience of, the, of that place. But first of all, it was so lovely for you to share uh, where you had lived, you know, on and off for, what, 10 years, I believe, and introduced to your dear friends, and it was like you'd never skipped a beat, you know? You were still as close, I'm sure, as you ever were. Um, it was probably one of the best settings I've ever been in to practice tennis or just be. I mean, if I had to move to Europe, I think that would be a place. Um, and I was still recovering, which you may give antidote to, where I was teaching Sophia to sprint in Romania. <laughs> and I hadn't sprinted in probably 15 years. Needless to say, I popped my hamstring. So I was still on the tail end of recovering from all of that, and I still couldn't hit with you properly. Uh, and, and you were getting too good anyway, so I, even if I was in full health, I couldn't move the way I needed to move or even do certain drills. So what I do remember there is supporting you to practice to serve over and over and over and over and over again. And we'll, I'll take a step forward to take a step back. We did, we moved uh, into the southern part of Switzerland there to go play that tournament. And I'll never forget, you kicked this girl's butt. And it's not like she was a bad player. I'd never seen you serve better than that match ever, before or after. I think you beat a one-on-one -on -one and she would have been lucky to return a serve. So that, that, like paid, 12, off. that 12, paid off. 12 or 13 aces on a red play. Yes. By far, by far, one of the best matches of my life. I felt like I was, and I think that's what's so special about tennis that I, I can't compare it to any other sport where you have that incredible day where everything clicks and you just feel like you're on top of the world. Like it was, I, I remember doing those drills in Chamonix uh, with you guys and it was you know, we would be doing pinpoint, you know, <laughs> aiming. So I would have to hit a big serve, but I would have to hit it like in this tiny, tiny area. And it conditioned me to like, just kind of act without like having to like, you like overthink or anything. It just became second nature to go for that spot. And like that really kind of you know, showed in um, Switzerland. That was by far one of the best matches of my life. Uh, yeah, I'm never going to forget that feeling. I I remember the ball was bouncing over, like over her know, head. So over her head, and she was a good player. She was like a top, you know, top one of the top players in Switzerland, like uh, in juniors. Um, so. That was that was a fun day. <laughs> you want to say any memories there from from Chamonix that you had, Sophia? That were because each place we went to, I felt like it had a special a special incident with it, or a, a special meaning that kind of we weren't going there for that meaning per se, but it showed up. Yeah, I mean, being able to, I mean, the Mont Blanc, and like because of my dad's connections there as well, like. I'm never going to forget my dad one day after that tournament in Switzerland, we came back to Chamonix and he was like, okay, you're going in a helicopter. And I was like, <laughs> what, you know, I mean, this sounds crazy, but you know, 
it's, I think it was really good to be able to see like you, you know, I went over the mountains, you know, and be, was able to see something like that. Um, as well as like, honestly, like having that experience with Didier, who's like an amazing human being. He's an absolutely incredible artist and he's just a creative human being. Like, so being able to kind of see what my dad's life was like before I came into this world um, was pretty darn cool. Um, and then I feel like we kind of made friends there that, I mean, throughout all works, like all walks of, you know, the tennis tour experience, I still am in touch with like people that I met along the way, like Emma Bogdan, um, I met her in Romania. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she came to visit me, you know, two years ago, and we're still in contact. Like, I feel like because we were in the trenches together in a way, you know, in the 15 Ks, you know, where you get 30 minutes of practice time, you know, um, uh, I feel like we kind of like all made these like really, really close special connections with each other. That's just going to last a long time. Like we'll always be close in a way. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never forget that because you were a little um, down after Switzerland because when you lost your last match, it was a tough match. It was just everything just didn't go your way. And uh, we were out that night at Didier's house having fantastic uh, steak dinner and all that kind of stuff. And Pascal, uh, who's one of the, Bruin is one of the greatest uh, helicopter pilots in the world to this day had a jack helicopter and I just go, hey, Pascal, is there any way you can get uh, Sophia up to the top of the Mont Blanc tomorrow? And he goes, okay, but don't tell anybody. Do not tell anybody. <laughs> and so I didn't tell anybody and he goes, and he goes, you can't go. There's not enough room because he was taking clients up there. So I wake her up at uh, 6.30 in the morning. I said, let's go. Where are we going? Uh, we're going to- for a ride. Oh, we're going for a ride. So I, I sit there, I get her in the helicopter, it takes off, and I'm going, what am I going to tell to my wife? You know, <laughs> she's gone. And then we come back down, and then two hours later, what did all three of us do? Paragliding. We went paragliding. <laughs> we, went, we flew three times that day. Well, at least I flew three times. And when I say I needed so much, I did not drink sugar, but I needed some bubbly stuff to center my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we were we were up in the the valley, jumping off twelve at twelve thousand feet. The valley down below is three thousand feet, so we're up there. We were up there for quite a long time, and guys that were coming by in squirrel suits going by us, different things. It is an amazing thing. I wanted her to get a different perspective of life. Yeah, it's not just about tennis. There's more things in life. It's it, it life is life. You know, it's 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 never going to be served perfectly. But, you know, living each day, I mean, I always remember hearing that growing up, live each day, you know, well, yeah. <laughs> and then the, the, the tail end of that trip was, I would consider, I would imagine for you, Sophia, a bit of a downer when we went to uh, Belgium, they just got gone through a bombing through the airport and we ended up uh, playing in this tournament in Belgium. But it, was, it certainly wasn't your best match. In fact, I would say there was just, you were spent, you know. Yeah. But I think that those things, and I'd like to hear from you, that that's a turning point also. I think that was the point where I said, look, the next level is to go work with Grant Doyle. 
you know, I kind of know my limitations of what I can teach doing, doing tennis. And I know Grant's uh, strengths and weaknesses. And I knew as a team, we could really support you to take you to the next level. And so that began a whole new kind of chapter for you. I don't know if you want to share around what that tournament and like in Belgium was, even though it's not fun to revisit these things, but I think it's important for our listeners to know some of the downsides of the tour and then how you can turn that around. Yeah. Again, I, I look back at that time, you know, and, you know, I was young and like, I have a completely dis- different perspective from what I had back then as well, but it was a learning lesson because I think what I look back at now, it's like, you have to take every match, every situation, every, every single possible situation and take it with a side of like gratefulness as like, I was very privileged to be able to go to Belgium and play a tournament. And yes, I was very burnt out because I, you know, I played three and a half weeks already in, um, oh, was that, oh no. Yeah, I already played a few tournaments before that. And I was pretty emotionally spent and obviously I still wanted it, but you know, I feel like I could only um, take as much as I could at that point, if that makes sense. And I'll make a point about that because I've seen it a lot with tennis players, not just professional tennis players, but when you've played a lot of tennis like that and you are emotionally spent, no matter what you tell yourself mentally and how dig how far you can dig deep emotionally. Sometimes the body's just going. Uh, does it? You tell it what to do, but it won't go. You know. Absolutely. It's just, yeah. It's I tapped mean, out. I, think I looked back at that too, and I was like, "Bend your knees, Sophia, for Pete's sake." You know, I was I was like, you know, I look back at that, but I think also that that last match like pushed me to be like, okay, I need to like you know, dig deep, recharge and get back and be hungry. Um, So, you know, I feel like every tour had its like learning lessons. And again, it's a process, it's a journey. And, you know, I look back at it now and it's like the way I played then, you know, is very, very different from the way I play now. Like I, for the life of me, I remember you telling me, you got to go back, back diagonally, you know, like, <laughs> you know, with the movement aspect yeah. and like for the life of me, I couldn't absorb it. Even if I was listening intently, I wasn't applying it, which was a new thing for me. Cause I was very good at, at listening, seeing and applying um, observations and learning lessons from coaches. But um, again, like, I feel like looking back from it now from a different perspective is like each time I came back with a different life lesson, tennis lesson, experience, etc. Um, so yeah, and then we came back to San Diego and you introduced uh, me to Grant. And I remember we had like a two hour session <laughs> and it was, it was pretty darn incredible. It was uh, both sides, we just clicked pretty darn well um and grant became a big part of my life as well uh, so yeah so just a matter in in the in the uh sense of timing here i recognize we're at time uh that you have gone on to lmu 
University, about to graduate next May. I'm so proud of you. Um, I want to give a shout out to your mum and your sister, because although we were the ones traveling, there were just a massive support on um, multiple, multiple levels. Um, and you can, and you know, you, as you know, you can't go up alone. And certainly as a tennis player, even though you're the one on the court, there's, there's many, many supporters behind you, uh, behind the scenes, putting so many of the things together. So if there's Absolutely. just some lasting words or some things you'd like to share, please finish, finish on those notes. Yeah. Added, and you too, Ronnie. <laughs> adding on to that, you know, I look back, you know, my mom was, she was the person that packed my bag with me. You know, she was the first person that was really excited for, you know, my adventure into pro tennis, uh, you know, into playing pro tennis tournaments. And she was, she was the biggest, one of my biggest supporters. Um, so, I mean, obviously my dad was at the forefront. He was there with me, but my mom was the one that always left it, that little note that I put in my tennis bag, you know, <laughs> and um, she would always write a little B on my thumb uh, before playing a match. And I still did it religiously before every single match. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, Michelle. Thanks, Mom. Yeah. What about you, Ronnie? Any lasting words? No, I just, you know, it, it takes, you know, it, it wasn't, yeah, obviously it was it was uh, my wife, Michelle, and uh, us together uh, to be able to give her the opportunity to go out there. But for me, I think uh, to be able to be this lucky, to be able to travel with my daughter and um, uh, travel the world, go to places, be in I mean, some Guadalupe was sounds really nice when you go to the travel agency. But where we were playing, we were <laughs> in a really uh, interesting place, and it was a really dicey and a couple of the places there. But going through all those things and having that opportunity, I'm truly blessed and to be lucky to be able to have been able to be with Sophia because it was the it was uh, yeah it, it's it's. I can't even, I can't even pay for it. I just, I just feel so lucky. Yeah, well said. And I, you know, I give my thanks and gratitude also for taking me on the ride. It's, it's um, as much as I may, you know, as a coach, it's always a different look, right? You're just trying to support you to be the best that you can be. And that's one of the great joys in my life. And you, you afforded me that opportunity, both of you. So I'm forever grateful. It's it's wonderful memories that I keep. But more than anything, Sophia, as I said to you early on, I said, never stop chasing those dreams, no matter what they are. The dreams may change. But if you can go for what's in your heart, you know, the best the best will come forward no matter what it looks like. You know. So absolutely. So thank you both. I love you both very much. I'm glad to have this conversation with you and thanks for being my guest. Oh, thank you, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Big hug. I missed those beers. Oops, sorry.